Well, welcome again. If you want to pull out your Bible or a digital copy and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to begin working our way through 2 Timothy today. You know, I don't know if you know this, but you can get uh, sermons, messages online uh, by better preachers, honestly. Uh, you can sing all of the songs that we've sung today uh, through Spotify or uh, the iTunes store. But there's something special and holy about doing it together that you can't replicate. And God has always intended that the praises of his people... And the opening of his word would be something that we do together. And while we're here together, um, God is speaking to us corporately and he's speaking to us individually and in how we can follow Christ better in this world. He's speaking to us and encouraging us, giving us boldness. And so I, I want to encourage you that every Sunday that you come here, that you would bring a Bible, whether it's a physical copy or a digital copy. If you don't have a Bible or you don't have a Bible that you personally like, uh, we want to give you one. We have a ton of them at the Welcome Center out in the lobby. Just grab one. Um, and uh, Because I want you to see these things for yourself and not just take my word for it. Because God is speaking. He's speaking to us all. He's speaking to us individually. And so I want to take a second and for all of us to pray. I want you to pray right there where you are. Jesus said in John chapter 16 that the Spirit of God would guide us into the truth. And so I want you to pray that. Um, Holy Spirit, would you guide me into your truth right now? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? You just pray that right there where you are. God, would you use your Spirit? The spirit that Jesus promised us you would send to us to lead us into the truth that you have for us today, both as a church and as individuals, so we can represent Jesus well in this world, so that we can have the resources that we need to be faithful until the end. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Second Timothy is a letter from the Apostle Paul to his, what he calls his true son in the faith, Timothy. And Timothy was on his ministry team and he sort of adopted him. Paul didn't have children, but Timothy was as close to a son as Paul ever had. And Paul is writing this letter in about AD 67 or 68 to Timothy because Timothy is experiencing pressure. Now what's ironic is Paul is writing to encourage his true son in the faith, but Paul is writing this letter from prison himself. It's likely that Paul went to prison a couple of different times because he was a follower and preacher of Christ, but this time he's not going to get out. Uh, these are, as far as we can tell, Paul's last words to his true son in the faith, Timothy. And Timothy's under pressure, and Paul is writing to him. It says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Remember, the Apostle Paul was radically converted to following Jesus. He was actually a persecutor of the first Christians, going out of his way to do them harm and to slow down their movement. But a, a, a supernatural experience with the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus changed everything for Paul. And now he is a preacher in the gospel frontier of the Roman Empire. He was traveling with friends and companions. He would go to a place, he would start in the synagogue because he was Jewish. He had that natural affinity uh, for 
for uh, the, the people of his culture. If they received him, then he kept preaching to those Jewish people. If they rejected him, then he would eventually go to the Gentile people, the non-Jewish people in whatever city he was in. And he picked up Timothy along the way. That's why it says in verse 2, To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. This is where we are introduced to Timothy for the first time. Acts chapter 16. It says in verse 1, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they were all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, And they increased in numbers daily. So when Paul comes to these uh, really triple cities, Lystra, Derby, and Iconium, they were close together. There was a young man who was well thought of by those early Christians, Timothy. They saw potential in him. They knew that God had set him apart. And so when Paul comes to preach to them, to encourage them in their faith, Paul recognizes that same potential and that same giftedness and calling in Timothy and says, I want you to come along. Now, Timothy had a believing mother, but an unbelieving Greek father. And because the Apostle Paul would start his ministry with the Jewish people, and they all knew, maybe by looking at him or knew his story, they knew that Timothy was only half Jewish. Uh, Timothy was circumcised, so that wouldn't be a stumbling block, as the Jewish people would hear the gospel in place to place to place. And so now Timothy is on the Apostle Paul's ministry team. But now years and years and years and years have passed. Since that event, Timothy is not just a young man with potential anymore. He is a leader in not just one church, but many churches. The Apostle Paul would send him as his representative to a place. If Paul was in prison or Paul couldn't get someplace else and a church needed some ministry, he would send Timothy in his place. He's a pastor, no longer just a protege. He's his own pastor and Timothy is under pressure because he's a pastor, because he's leading people. Uh, He's probably under pressure because of outside opposition. Uh, you know, in some places, following Jesus was, was not that welcomed. Uh, the, the message of Christ crucified was uh, a hostile message to much of the Roman Empire, and sometimes people responded to hearing it with hostility. That's why Paul, again, is in prison. And so it's probably likely that Timothy is experiencing some of that same hostility. He has opposition from the outside, He probably had opposition from the inside. Lots of expectations to meet. Expectations of every church corporately. Expectations of every church member individually. He probably had in his own mind the desire to live up to the expectations of the Apostle Paul. I don't know who you're looking to. Probably not as intimidating as trying to measure up to the Apostle Paul. And all of these expectations, all of this opposition from either inside or outside was building on Timothy. That's why Paul is writing him this letter. So imagine what a breath of fresh air 
These simple words would be grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Probably no one else in Timothy's life was simply offering him grace, mercy, and peace. What most people were offering Timothy was, will you do this for me? Why didn't you, why didn't you do the, the thing that I asked? Why didn't you do it the way that I wanted? I didn't tell you what I expected, but I hope that you would supernaturally be able to read my mind. You didn't, and now I'm disappointed in you. Probably no one else in his life was offering him grace, mercy, and peace. So how much more nourishing would it be to his soul to hear, not only is someone offering you those three things, God and his son, Jesus Christ. That's what they want for you, Timothy. Grace, mercy, and peace. Verse three. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Paul says, I'm serving God with a clear conscience. Not every preacher in the first century preached Christ out of a good motive. In fact, the apostle Paul talks about that in Philippians chapter one specifically. He says, some preach about Jesus because of selfish ambition, because of their pride, because of their ego, because they want something from the church. But Paul says, I serve God with a clear conscience, as did my ancestors. So he's talking about those great saints of old uh, in Israel's history who had served God. uh, Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, Moses. Uh, Probably specifically, Paul has in mind Joseph and Daniel because they too, like Paul, sat in prison because of their faithfulness to God. I serve God with a clear conscience, as did my ancestors, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Remember, Timothy is a true son to the Apostle Paul. And if you have children, you know that sometimes prayer is the only thing that you can do for your kids. Both of my kids in elementary school have run for a student council and, and you can help them, uh, but there's not a lot you can do. I've never been more terrified than the day that we sent them on the bus for their elections, right? You, you could go over their speech, you could help them with the signs, but you could not get in there and manipulate the vote. Right, And you want them to win, you want them to experience victory, you want them to have a positive experience through the whole thing, but there's nothing that you can do except for pray. Uh, On Friday, I had two conversations with uh, families in our church family who were both in the hospitals, and I ended those conversations the same way. I wish there was something I could do to fix this. I wish I could make it go away. I wish I could manipulate it. I wish I could go and do something. I wish I could get something. I wish I could think of something. But often there's nothing that you can do. All you can do is pray. Paul is writing to Timothy because Timothy is going through a hard time. He's under a lot of pressure. Maybe he's thinking about quitting ministry. Paul's going to give him good advice, but the, really the only thing that he can do is just remember him in prayer constantly, day and night. Verse four, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. So most likely the last time that Paul and Timothy saw one another, when they said goodbye, Timothy cried. Now, now probably Timothy wishes that we were not still reading this letter. <laughs> I shed a few tears in our wedding and we recorded it. And we have it on video for the rest of my life. So anytime my kids and grandkids and great-grandkids, if DVD players still exist at that time, which I'm sure they don't, thank God they won't, they'll be able to see me, their father, their grandfather, their great-grandfather, 
crying and not just any kind of crying, donkey crying in the middle of my wedding. I wished no one would be able to see that. Timothy probably wishes Paul was not bringing this up. I remember your tears. He's like, I remember it too. Why did you have to say it? Uh, But I long to see you that I may be filled with joy like a father and son who have been separated. And probably both of them feel very alone for two different reasons. Paul feels alone because he's in prison. And Timothy feels alone because he has the expectations of hundreds and thousands of people on his shoulders. And they just want to see one another. Verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Remember we read in Acts that Timothy's mother Eunice was a believer because her mother, most likely Lois, was a believer in Jesus. But Timothy's dad was Greek, and so he maybe was either agnostic or uh, didn't believe in God or worshipped one of the many gods of the Roman Empire. And so Paul points out his grandmother and his mother, Lois and Eunice, saying, this is where you received your sincere faith from, from these women. Now, I have a sensitive place for for the mention of Lois and Eunice, because when my grandmother married my grandfather, she was a follower of Christ and he was not. And she remained faithful, even though in in lots of Sundays, he was very antagonistic about her going to church, her practicing her faith, her praying. Eventually he did become a follower of Jesus. The same thing was true when my mother married my father. She was a follower of Jesus And he was not. By God's grace, he eventually came to follow Christ. But it is because of the sincere and steadfast faith of my grandmother and my mother that they came to follow Jesus too. And Paul is reminding Timothy, remember your grandma. Remember your mother. This is where your faith has come from. And now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Verse six, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. What's the gift that he's talking about? Most likely it's one of Timothy's spirit empowered talent, not human talent, but spirit given empowered talent that Timothy uses to move the church forward, to equip the church That's probably the thing that those early leaders in Iconium and Lystra recognized in Timothy. Maybe he was a powerful preacher, even though he didn't understand a ton of things, even though he didn't have a lot of experience. There was something unique about the way that he opened and explained the scripture. Maybe he was fantastic at helping people in a one-on-one conversation apply the truth of the gospel of Jesus to whatever it was that they were going going on in their lives. He was gifted. And Paul says that gift was present. It was magnified. It was given through the laying on of my hands. Probably what happened was early on when Paul first came to Lystra and Iconium and Derby, Paul, along with the leaders of those local churches, they laid their hands on Paul. A symbolic act of prayer and sharing of what those leaders have. We have kingdom responsibility. God has gifted us with a spirit-empowered talent and ability. And so we are sharing what we have with you. 
And Paul says, remember that. You're under pressure. Remember when we came around you. Remember when I laid my hands on you and I prayed for you and I recognized what God was doing in your life and what God was going to do on your life. That that wasn't just simply just a, a religious act. Something holy and special and supernatural happened when we laid our hands on you. Verse seven, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is how we know that Timothy is under pressure because of this verse right here. Paul's going to affirm that later on, but this clues us in. Uh, Timothy is afraid. We don't know exactly what he's afraid of. My guess, being a pastor, he's afraid of people. He's afraid of people on the outside. He's afraid of people on the inside. And he's afraid of disappointing people. I mean, if you have those three things that are constantly in your mirror, opposition from people outside the church, opposition from people inside the church, and the fear of disappointing those people inside the church that you love, that's enough to crush anyone. Paul says, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but he gave us a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. Every single one of us is under some kind of pressure right now. I mean, that's really the hope of a new year. It's the hope that everything will go right and nothing will go wrong. That has already expired for me. I'm guessing that's already expired for you. It doesn't last very long. That fresh start that all of us want it is ruined by the reality of what needs to be done, what didn't get done, what should have gotten done. So a few things that we can learn from Paul and Timothy today about that pressure we're all under. Number one, when I am under pressure, I have the will of God. When I am under pressure, I have the will of God. Verse one, Paul says, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Paul says to Timothy, I am an apostle, not because I volunteered, not because somebody thought I was good at it. I am an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And in an unspoken way, so are you. You were on my team. You were called. I was there. I laid my hands on you. Other leaders did too. You are an apostle, Timothy, by the will of God. You know, pressure, suffering, hurt, pain, it's not unique to Christians. That's why none of us should walk away from the faith because we're disappointed, because life is not going our way, because we're suffering, because everyone suffers. Muslims suffer, Hindus suffer, atheists suffer, agnostics suffer. So if you walk away from the Christian faith to another thing because you are disappointed or hurt, by what has happened to you. What are you going to walk away from when you're in that new season and disappointment and pressure and suffering happens to you there? Jesus said to all of us, in this world, you will have trouble. And Timothy is experiencing that trouble. And the apostle Paul in his other writings would tell us that he does not see a distinction between his suffering and the pressure he was experiencing and the will of God. That oftentimes they went together. If you have your Bible open, turn to 2 Corinthians chapters 11 and 12. Paul talks about that pressure. In fact, he uses the, the word pressure in his, in his writings. At the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 
He starts to toot his own horn, but not in the way that we would. He, he starts bragging about his sufferings. I'm talking like a madman, verse 23, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night. In hunger and in thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. This may be the root of what Timothy is experiencing. The daily pressure on Timothy for the church in Ephesus and the church in Colossae and all the churches that the Apostle Paul had assigned him to look after. Then he goes on in verse 12 and he boasts again. He doesn't use his own name, but... He boasts in in saying that, we're guessing, he was caught up into the third heaven. So he was praying and suddenly he was in God's realm. And he could see angels and he could see the throne. He could see things that are unexplainable. He says in verse 4 of chapter 12, which man may not utter. So Paul, he doesn't say it's him, but he he says, "I, I saw things that I couldn't describe to you. There are no... English, Greek words to wrap around what I experienced. But somebody could become conceited about that. So in verse 7 he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So God has given him this gift that he saw things in God's realm that most of us have not seen or will ever see. But God allowed, maybe even willed, that a messenger of Satan would come, a suffering would come that was from Satan that would keep Paul humble so he wouldn't get a big head about seeing things that most of us won't ever see. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So he didn't like it. Most likely it was some kind of physical suffering. A lot of scholars believe because of other things that Paul wrote, it was his eyes. He had terrible eyesight. So you can imagine trying to be an apostle on the gospel frontiers, going from place to place, and you can't see at all, legally blind, how difficult that would be. And he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. God, take this away. It's a messenger from Satan. Surely it's not your will. It's from Satan. Verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul would say to Timothy, yes, you're under pressure, but you still have the will of God. There is not a distinction between the hard things that are happening to me and what God has willed for my life and what he has willed for this world. They can go together. They do not go together easily, but they can go together. 
I've mentioned before that uh, years ago I, I had surgery and Dr. Keller was my surgeon's name. He came into our room and said, this is, this is what's got to happen. It's got to happen today. And so they wheeled me on into surgery. Uh, but, you know, big shocker. Dr. Keller didn't do that because he loved me. Right? He, he, he did that because it needed to be done. Uh, we don't get together and chat now. He's like, pay your bill. You know, I saved your life. And we think about God's will that way. I guess this is what needed to be done. But it's cold, like a surgeon that doesn't know you. But everything that we know from the scripture says that there is not a separation between the will of God and the love of God. Yes, sometimes things happen because they need to happen. Sometimes we understand those things and sometimes we don't. But what Paul had in the midst of his long list of pressures and sufferings is the grace of God and the power of God. God was present with him in love while he was experiencing that pressure. So when Paul is reminding Timothy, I am an apostle because of the will of God and in an unspoken way, and so are you. We have the will of God and the will of God right now is that we are enduring this pressure and suffering, but we also have the love of a father, not the cold hand of a surgeon. So when you are experiencing pressure, for whatever reason, at that moment, it is the will of God but you also have the love of God with you while you are experiencing the will of God. The second thing that I want to remind us about, when I am under pressure, I have my role models. Verse three, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors. And then in verse five, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So Paul reminds Timothy of the ancestors, those people who served God in Israel's history. He reminds him of how his grandmother served God and how his mother has served God and said the same faith that was in them is also in you. Right? And so as we look for role models in our life, mentors, leaders, we want those same two things to be present that Paul mentions. We were looking for following people who serve God and who have a sincere faith. That was Jesus' primary point of contention with the Pharisees in the Gospels is that they lacked a sincerity. They may have started sincere, but in Matthew chapter 6 and 7, Jesus keeps pointing out they, they used to pray or they prayed because they should pray, but now they pray to be seen by other people. They give not because they're generous, but because they want other people to see them giving. They fast and they go out of their way to make sure that everyone knows that they're fasting, they're, they're suffering, they're withholding food from themselves because they are so godly. Right? There is not a sincerity there. I'm giving sincerely. I'm praying sincerely. I'm fasting sincerely. We all need role models, especially when life is challenging. Because what we need to see with people who serve God and have sincere faith is that there is life on the other side of this pressure. They keep serving God, even though not everything has gone their way. If they did it, I can do it. They experience this loss 
and kept the faith. Doesn't mean that it wasn't wobbly, but they kept the faith. There is life on the other side of this thing that I'm experiencing. And Paul keeps pointing Timothy outside of himself, but to your ancestors, to to me, to your mother, and to your grandmother. And then the third thing, final thing. When I'm under pressure, I have God's power, I have God's love, and I have self-control by God's own spirit. When I'm under pressure, I have power, love, and self-control by God's own spirit. Right out of the gate, this is what Paul wants for Timothy. Walk away from fear and receive the power that you have. You have the power to press through this pressure. Not your own power, but a power that was given to you when we laid our hands on you. It's a resource that doesn't come from yourself. It comes from prayer. It comes from supernatural places. You have love. The hardest thing to do is to love people when you feel empty. I don't think there's anything harder than that. To keep on loving when you don't feel loved. And my guess, reading into this letter, is that Timothy does not feel very loved. Especially if he's getting opposition from outside and opposition from inside. He's saying, I don't have anywhere to turn. I don't have anyone offering me grace and mercy and peace. All I have is people saying, stop this, start that. Why didn't you stop doing that? Why didn't you start doing this? He probably does not feel any love. And so Paul is reminding him, you have love. You have love. It doesn't come from you. You can't look inside because you're empty. But you have God's love that comes through the spirit of God. You don't have a spirit of fear. You have a spirit of love. Maybe even radical love that would love those who are putting pressure on Timothy. And you have self-control. Not a self-control that comes through New Year's resolutions. That doesn't last very long. But a self-control that is inspired by the Spirit of God. You are able to be faithful even though you might have in your mind an excuse to give up faithfulness. Sometimes we use difficulty as permission. I had a hard day at work, so it's okay if I drink a little bit more than I probably should. My life is really hard right now, so I'm going to indulge myself more than I would if I was in a good season. But Paul says, you don't have a spirit of fear. By God's spirit, you have self-control. And and notice that he tells Timothy in verse 6 to fan into flame the gift of God. To feed that gift of God. Whatever you feed in 2019 will grow. That's why most of us are on diets right now. is because we fed something in 2018... And now we're looking to starve something in 2019. Whatever you feed in 2018 is going to grow. So where are you? What are you nourishing? If you feed the things of the spirit, you're going to grow spiritually. 
If you feed time on your television, you're going to grow in your knowledge of television. And you have to decide if that's a worthy thing to feed. If you feed the flesh, your flesh is going to grow. If you feed the spirit, spiritual things, you're going to grow spiritually. You know, most of us probably, I'm guessing, just based on a anecdotal survey that I've taken without anyone knowing, uh, turn into 2019 saying, I hope that 2019 is easier and better than 2018. Even I've said that in December. Man, I just hope that this year is better and smoother than last year. And that's a good prayer to pray, uh, especially if you had a hard 2018. There's nothing wrong with praying that. The problem is, is that uh, you can't guarantee it. And what you can be guaranteed of is that you will experience some kind of pressure, some kind of pain, some kind of difficulty. Hopefully it will be less than 2018, but it will definitely be present. And, and so many of us will be tempted to despise the pressure we feel this year. And what I want to encourage all of us to do is not to despise the pressure, but to use the pressure. Because you can't prevent it from coming. But you can use it. You can use it to grow in the knowledge of God's will. Knowing that when you have his will, you have his love. You can use that pressure to grow into being like your role models. The only thing that is preventing you from becoming like your mentors is that at this moment they are willing to do what you are not. They don't have some secret ingredient that is not available to you. So use the pressure you will experience this year to make you more like them because by becoming like them, you become more like Jesus and not to become less like them. And you use that pressure to experience God's power, God's love, and self-control that's inspired by God. Next week, we'll jump into verse eight. Let's pray.